Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. This is Dr. Eric Tangumonkem with IEM Approach, where we inspire, equip, and motivate people to discover God's great potential in them, develop that potential, and deploy it. I want to thank you for joining this broadcast today. I want to thank you for creating the time to be part of what is going to change your life, position you to win big. It's taken a while for me to get here. And I've taken it upon myself to share some of my stories with you because of the journey that we are on. I count it a great privilege that you have opened up your own life with, for it to merge with mine. I'm saying this because you are listening to me right now and my story is going to affect your own story because you're going to learn something from me. I will learn something from you as well. If you have questions, leave comments below. You can text me, you can email me, you can call me as well. Together, we will be able not only to reach our full potential, we'll be able to deploy that potential and make a difference in the lives of those around us, in our generation, in our countries, and globally. There has never been a more exciting time to be alive than now. This is one of the most exciting times to be alive. I say it because of all the resources that we are all having at our disposal. There is so much available to all of us. And we have to help, encourage, inspire, motivate each other to rise up to the occasion. Nothing as powerful as a personal story that is well told. I don't know what your own story is, but I want to encourage you, take ownership of that story. In some of the prior episodes, I did mention how important your story is. Your story has been setting you up for the next level. All what you have been through, the good, the bad, and the ugly, all those insults you've received, all the false accusations, all the name calling, all the pushbacks, the illnesses, whatever has happened to you right up to this moment, has been equipping you 
for the next big thing in your life. However, for you to move forward, you must integrate everything you've been through for it to fuel you, for it to push you, for it to propel you to the next thing. You have already been prepared for whatever obstacle you are facing now. You may not feel like, you may think you don't have what it takes to win. You may feel that the obstacle that you are facing is bigger than you. Let the truth be told. You've been prepared. You've been prepared. You've been equipped already to face whatever you are facing right now. I'm saying that based upon my experiences and the experiences of other people. Whenever you are in difficulties, it's very tempting to throw up your hands and feel that the world has conspired somehow to make your life miserable. Can you imagine the baby in the womb? What forces the baby to be born. Have you thought about that? All of us were babies at one point. Why did we not remain in our mother's wombs? I mean, the womb was very comfortable. We were protected, shielded, we were fed. There wasn't much that was expected of us at that stage. We just received everything. But with each passing day, each passing week, each passing month, the baby grows and grows and grows. As the baby is growing bigger, the womb is stretching and accommodating. In other words, you can only accommodate for so long. You don't live life in accommodation. You have to break free eventually. And that's why I'm saying that when the baby is in the womb, when you were in the womb of your mother, you were being prepared for life on the outside. That is why you develop legs. There wasn't much use of for legs in the womb. There wasn't much use uh, for no, it, a nose in the womb. There wasn't much use for eyes in the womb. No, not much use for most of the body parts that you develop. But you were being prepared for the life on the other side. I heard a story that left uh, a very powerful impression on me. For those of you, since we're talking about faith and walking by faith, and some of you want to see before you believe. You don't want to see with the eyes of your mind. You want to see with your physical eyes. I think it's a very limited way to live when you insist to see everything with your physical eyes. When you insist that you must put everything in the test tube and try it before you believe it, I think you are highly limited. The sit dimension, the fit dimension, is more powerful, it's more versatile, it's going to make you un 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 unstoppable. 
I heard a story. This woman was pregnant with twins. And these two boys were growing up in her womb. And one day, one of the boys told his twin brother, of what use is the hands that we are developing? We don't need them. Of what use are our legs? We don't need them. By the way, we are attached to, by, to our mother through the umbilical cords that we have. We have everything that we need here. This is all that life is. There isn't more, there isn't anything more than what we're experiencing in the womb right now. The other brother said, wait a minute. We have been prepared for a life out of this place. That is why we're developing all these different body parts. The first twin said, by the way, you're even talking about us having a mother. Have you ever seen a mother? Maybe we don't even have a mother. How do you know? You are being prepared. You have been prepared. And that is why the babies get to a point where the womb can no longer contain them and they have to be pushed out. In order for that to happen, they have to give up living in the womb. That is painful. That's why when the baby comes out, yes, they cry because they need to expel uh, water that was in their lungs, the discomfort. And I think part of it is the discomfort of being exposed into some strange environment. But sooner or later, the baby is going to realize that, oh, I was being prepared to come out on earth so I can run, I can eat, I can have fun, and travel. What type of life to become constrained in the womb and you can move around freely and breathe and see places. But when the baby is in the womb, that is all what they know. And some of us have been in the womb for too long. But you were growing legs, you were developing hair on your head, you were developing uh, arms and a mouth and a nose and all that. I'm being metaphorical here. But what I'm getting at is this. People have done you a lot of harm in the past. They have insulted you. They have accused you falsely. They've pushed you really hard. They've discriminated against you. They've maltreated you. I'm not saying that any of that treatment is good. But I want you to hear me and hear me very clearly. Whatever has been done to you, Whatever you've been through, you have been in the school of preparation. You can turn that evil to good when you apply faith to it, when you acknowledge the fact that God can use the good, the bad, and the ugly to position you for greater things. That is only when forgiveness is possible. That is only when letting go of the past is possible. That is only when being able to use that hurt, that pain is possible. 
I don't want you to keep living in regret. I don't want you to keep living in bitterness. I don't want you to keep blaming people, blaming the system, blaming the government, blaming everybody except you. Yes, you have been greatly wrong. Yes, you have suffered a lot. You should ask yourself, how can I benefit from all this pain? How can I harness it and move forward? You've got to lose something to gain another one. I'm going to be talking today about my first job loss. And before I get into it, I want you to understand that I've learned a lot. I wrote a book about it. The book is about to come out. I'll actually dwell on the almost 75 plus lessons I learned during that difficult time of my life. It's nothing as traumatic as losing a job, especially when you lose a job and you don't have the legal status to go get another one. I finished school, moved to Colorado. That was in 2009. We are excited. My first job, first good paying job after school. Life is good. Then boom, the recession. That started around 2007, 2008, hit its peak in 2009. Lehman Brothers went down. Many companies were in, in crisis. Chrysler, GM, they had to bail some of these auto companies and it, it, they were too big to, to fail, was floating around and it was, it was a difficult time. I was working with Slumberger at the moment in Colorado. We just had our fourth child and my mother-in-law came all the way from Africa to visit us. So technically, I was having four kids, two adults plus me, and a total of seven people that were 100% dependent on the salary that I was earning at that time. This is going to be the beginning of telling you how I dealt with the complexity of the American immigration system. I've already mentioned a little bit about it. I had my first visa change from an F1 student. The F1 visa is for students, international students. So when I finished school, Slumberger filed for me, hired lawyers, and they were able to change my visa from F1 to H1. B, H-1B. The condition on the visa was that I could only work for Slumberger if I had to not, not only work for Slumberger, but I also had to work within the industry that my degree was in. As a geologist, I could work in the oil and gas industry or anything related to geology. If I had to move from one employer to the other, I had to stay within the confines of geology and then other employer had to transfer the H-1B visa. This involves lawyers and expenses. And the way the economy was going, it wasn't the type of environment 
where companies were excited about getting visas for foreign workers. Now, somebody might, might have said, oh, I finished school, got a job. It was just a happenstance. Uh, it was expected. Remember, I got that job in 2008 before I, I, gra uh, I graduated. And now we are in 2000 and, uh, 2009. And I barely worked for about a year. And the economy was going south. Slum Beijing laid off 15,000 people. We had done our training, and some of the new recruits that we are trained together with were laid off. Some of them were American citizens, some foreigners just like me who were working on H-1Bs. And I was just thinking, hmm, maybe now that I'm on H-1B visa and Slumber just spent some money to, uh, you know, on me to work for them and I have a PhD, uh, maybe they will uh, let me stay. I was a field engineer at the time, uh, being trained to move into their data consulting uh, services. I stayed at home. There was no job for me to go out and do because uh, Slombeger is a service company. When they stop drilling wells, they don't have much to do. So during that time, we we'll go to the office, clean tools. There wasn't really much to do. So I was talking to my manager, please, can you send me out to the field? I would like to go out and do some work. Then my manager told me one day that, oh, please come into the office. Uh, let's talk about, uh, you know, the request that you are making. I got up that morning. I was excited. I did not know what was about to hit me. I drove up to the office, got there around 9 o'clock. And the manager told me, oh, we're going to have a meeting at 11. You know, just hang around. Uh, if you have anything to do, like trainings. And we always had trainings that we did for safety and all that. So I, I came in with the company laptop and everything. So I sat somewhere and I was just working on my stuff. At 11, I went to his office. The manager said, okay, oh, yeah, yeah, let's go into this other office. I didn't know what was cooking in the, in the background. So I followed him, we went into the next office. And I saw one other person in there was like, huh, what is going on here? I, I came to see you for us to talk about me going out to walk. And now we are having a third party in what is going out. That is when the bombshell dropped. I was in shock. He said, economy is bad, we're getting you out. I was like, getting me out. You guys just moved me to Colorado. At school, I stayed all my life before now in, in, in Dallas, Texas. And here am I. I have a four-month-old baby plus three other kids, and my mother-in-law, my wife, everybody depending upon me. You're getting me out in this type of economy. What am I going to do? By the way, I'm an international. I'm, I'm, I'm an international working for you guys. So if you get me out, what what that entails is that I will be illegal in the country because I don't have a, in my, my my status. I'm going to lose my status. So they pulled out the paperwork and told me, "This is a, this are these are the conditions. If you want to take a severance package." 
you sign here. If you want to leave the country, we'll be willing to pay for you to take your stuff to whatever country you want to go to. I wasn't ready to leave the country. I just finished school. I had not yet figured out where I was going to settle with my family. They told me, yeah, you can go home, you know, think over, think over this and uh, get back to us. I was in shock. Just lost my job. What am I going to do? I went ahead and signed the paperwork and gave them. I mean, I wasn't up to be fighting the company. They have deeper pockets. And we're living in a bad economy. People were being laid off left and right. It wasn't anything personal. Then I got into the car and I'm driving back to my house. I mean, we were renting at that time. Fortunately, when I signed the lease on the house, there was a clause that the company asked us to ask our landlords that if we get laid off, we'll break the lease. We'll not be expected to pay uh, for breaking the lease. So I was laid off. Uh, was that in July? I started working for Slumberger in May. That was barely a, a year and a month or two months. I drove home. I was fine, just driving home and just thinking. I was like, what am I going to do? Leave the country, stay in the country, if I want to stay in the country, how I, what am I going to do? I drove home, opened the door. My wife came, she just sensed that something was wrong. Give me a hug, I break down, and I wept. It was overwhelming. What am I going to do? What? I don't know. To say I was shocked, <laughs> it's an understatement. It was overwhelming. After I finished crying, we had to regroup on what to do next. I mean, I just finished school. We had our first job. We got excited. We bought this, we bought that, trying to set up the house and all the, the stuff. And now we're stuck. We're stuck. We couldn't move ahead. We couldn't retreat. We're stuck. That is when being a person of faith, having a relationship with our Heavenly Father, really pays off. It was a lot of pressure. We prayed. And we made a quick decision. Liquidate everything we had in that house. I was renting a five-bedroom, four-bedroom house or something like that. We had to get out of it, leave Colorado completely, move back to Dallas. We had to move back to Texas. That is the place that we knew. We had some friends there. And next time, I'm going to continue the journey with you. And let me introduce you to one of the resources that I've written that we'll be talking out of. It's called From a Cameroonian to uh, an American Citizen. In here, I am cataloging how I moved from F1 visa to H1B visa, back to F1 visa, back to F2 visa, 
to green card and to a citizen. The next series of broadcasts will touch a little bit on what is in here. I want to suggest that if you are dealing with immigrants or you're an immigrant yourself, you grab this book and read it. And I also talk about some solutions to the immigration challenges that we're having in the country right now, what can be done for us to move forward. Highly recommend this, it's a, it's a very easy read. Let me tell you, this book is already changing lives. There is a lawyer that read this book and called me. Uh, we had lunch and he was trying to bring in uh, some people into the country. And because he read the book, heard about my maneuvering of the system and I was able to give him some tips and whatever he wanted to do, he succeeded. Again, read it, let's have a conversation if you want. Today I've been talking about a job loss that I went through. It was shocking, it was destabilizing. But we survived, we did not only survive, we thrived. I've written a whole book on that because the next 30 months of my life were really difficult. However, I want to leave you with this. I don't know what loss you've suffered. It all brings pain. It makes you depressed, perplexed, worried, fearful, angry, you name it, it's okay. I cried, you can cry, it's okay. But I wanted to know something. Hear me and hear me very clearly. Every situation has an expiration date on it. Every situation has an expiration date on it. It doesn't matter what it is. At the moment, it doesn't feel like that. Whatever has a beginning has an end. You cannot walk through two doors. When one door closes, get excited. Another door is about to open. You've been prepared for this moment. You've suffered loss. Don't let it stop you. Don't get bitter. Look for the opportunities that are surrounding you right now because there's always a way out. I want to thank you for watching. Stay tuned. The story is going to continue. If you look behind me, lots of resources that I've written, we're going to be getting into them. I'm just setting the stage up for you to understand what I've been through. I don't speak from theory. It's very practical. This is not just going to be my first job loss. Another one is coming. We're going to hear all that, but you see what has been able to help me to bounce back. My faith in God. And that's why I'm encouraging you. If your faith is not functioning, you can do something about it. It's not too late. Help is available. Call the number on the screen. Email, text, whatever you need, let us know.
I want to thank you so much for listening. If you are on our podcast, if you are watching, thank you for stopping by, share, subscribe to my channel, and together, let's make a difference. You have been listening to Dr. Eric Tangumonken with IEM Approach, where we inspire, equip, and motivate people to discover God's great potential in them, develop that potential, and deploy. God bless you. Stay tuned for more updates.